0: Hello, good day to you wherever you are. My name is Edmund and welcome to Lawdio. Let's do some law of thought assault. Now assault is um, unique to common law in providing for mere emotional disturbance unaccompanied by an external physical contact. So the difference between battery and assault is that for assault there is no external physical con- contact, but for battery, there's an external physical con- contact. Assault seeks to protect the plaintiff's interest in freedom from being subject to mental anxiety. The law, i.e. the requirements, are substantially the same as that of battery, except that in assaults, there's only an apprehension of imminent physical contact, but no contact at all. So assault may thus be described as an incomplete battery. So it's an inquit offense, incomplete battery. So timorousness on the part of the plaintiff plaintiff is irrelevant. So if you are a plaintiff, the one complaining and you are timid or fearful um, and and, and a, a seemingly innocuous or innocent act is done, you cannot go and sue for assault. So it's only provided that the defendant excites apprehension or fear of contact with him then there is assault but note that not just fear it must be fear of contact for example neither a gesture Behind a bar or a person firmly secured from causing harm to others can constitute assault, because any fear one feels of being hurt would be considered unreasonable in law. Because in that person's situation, he cannot carry out the threat. Now, in Reed and Coca. The plaintiff, a paper stainer, was in financial difficulties and owed rent. The defendant paid the rent and bought his equipment under an agreement which secured for the plaintiff a weekly allowance. One day, the defendant asked him to leave his premises. The plaintiff refused. The defendant thereupon collected together his workmen who mustered around the plaintiff tacking up their sleeves and aprons and threatening to break the, neck, the plaintiff's neck if he did not leave. The plaintiff left and brought an action for assault. It was held no words can amount to assault but there were threats of violence exhibiting an intention to execute the threat coupled with ability to act i.e the present ability to carry the threat into execution. It is not every threat which constitute assault to constitute assault there must be an act constituting a threat to do the personal violence but to do personal violence to the party complaining coupled with the present ability to carry out the threat so thoughts the law of, the thought of battery and assault are similar except for physical contact but So, the Law of Assault has two things that it really, really pertains, it it really pays attention to. That there's an act manifesting an intention or threat to commit a battery. Then, the defendant's ability to execute this intention, i.e., the defendant is in a position to commit and did manifest an intention to commit the battery. Thus, in Thomas and National Union of Mine Workers, in this case, the defendant organized a strike and picketed around the workplace and held insult at those workers who were going to work in defiance of the strike. The mine workers were in a vehicle. It was held that no amount of violent threats or gestures could in the circumstances amount to assault because there was no capacity to carry out the intention into, into effect. Now in Stephen and Myers, the plaintiff was acting as a chairman at a parish meeting and sat at the head of the table at which the defendant also sat. There were about six or seven people between the plaintiff and the defendant. In the course of some angry discussion, the defendant made himself totally intolerable and a motion was moved and passed to eject him from the meeting. The defendant said he would rather pull the chairman out of the chair than allow himself to be turned out. He advanced threateningly towards the chairman with his fist clenched but was stopped by the church warden before he Caught near enough to do any harm. The plaintiff sued for assault. The jury found for the plaintiff, which means that the defendant's conduct constituted an assault. Now, how about a loaded and unloaded gun? Let's look at the, the case of Blake and Bernard. Blake and Barnard. Here there was proof of the pointing of a pistol at the plaintiff's head but there was no proof of the pistol being loaded. The court held there was no assault. So attempts have been made to diminish the authority of the case on the grounds that it was decided on a pleading point. Now let's look at the the decision in Osborne and Veitch. There it was held that to point a half cocked gun to the head of another and threaten to shoot was assault since cocking the gun was as good as having loaded it. Also in Miller and AG, Justice Abang said to point a loaded revolver at another in such a hostile manner and within shooting distance and which, con- con- which conduct puts that other person in reasonable fear or apprehension of a battery constitute assault. But in Republic and St. George, it was held that to point an unloaded gun at another in, in circumstances that if it had been loaded, its discharge would have been likely to cause injury is an assault unless the intended victim knows it to be empty. This is in sharp contrast to, sharp contrast to uh, Blake and Barnard. Now, in Martin Martin, Martin and Shopee. The defendant chased the plaintiff with an uplifted whip, intending to strike him, but the plaintiff escaped. Chasing him with an uplifted whip was held to be assault because the defendant was advancing with an intent and had the ability to execute the threat immediately. Now, can mere words constitute an assault? Let's look at the case of Mead and Belt. M-E-A-D-E and Belt, Mead and Belt. The defendants went to Mead's house at night and threatened to show him if he came out. They sang threatening war songs and used violent language. Mead came out with a loaded gun and shot one of them. It was held that the attack on the house at night constituted an assault and not the mere words per se. But in the case of R and Wilson, the appellant was caught poaching by a gamekeeper. He was charged with assault on the gamekeeper with intent to evade arrest. The arrest was found unlawful because only the name instead of the name plus address was required, as required by statute was asked for by the gamekeeper. The poacher was convicted of common assault and pleaded. It was held that when he was surprised by the gamekeeper, he shouted, get out knives. So no doubt that the court thought that was the serious part of the case the one he's the the portion where he said get out knives he called get out knives which itself could be an assault in addition to kicking the gamekeeper so he was convicted of an assault so in r and and wilson r and r and wilson it was it, it it holds the principle that certain words can cause assault provided they create a reasonable apprehension of imminent physical contact now how about conditional threat of battery? In uh, even if words alone cannot constitute assault, words accompanying accompanying an act can negate assault. So it was held in Tuberville and Savage. Now in Tuberville and Savage, it was an action for assault, battery, and wounding. The defendant alleged provocation. The evidence to prove the provocation was that the plaintiff put his hand on his sword and said, if we had not at his time, I would not take such language from you. Was that an assault? The court held that it was not. For when what the plaintiff meant was that he would, would not assault him because the judges were in town. The intention manifested and the act equaled the assault. Now, judgment was, was given in favor of the plaintiff in the substantive suit. A point to note here is that the touching of the sword without the accompanying words were con- was considered an assault by itself because it was a gesture which suggested that the defendant was about to attack the plaintiff with a sword. All the cases discussed so far are grappling with one challenge, namely whether, given the nature of the protection offered by the thought of assault and the risk of misuse, the fear that the plaintiff entertained a threatened battery is reasonable enough in the circumstances. Now, In Bruce and Dyer, it provides a reasonable rationalization of the controversy over loaded and unloaded guns, toy weapons, and words. In that case, Ferguson J puts the point as follows, usually where there is no actual intention to use violence, there can be no assault. When there is no power to use violence to the knowledge of the plaintiff, there can be no assault. There need not be, in fact, any actual intention or power to use violence, for it is enough if the plaintiff on reasonable ground believes that he is in fact in danger of violence. So if a person take, shakes his fist at another, the person so assaulted may strike back if he on reasonable grounds believes that he is in danger. Now, Principles governing the world of damages. Battery and Assault Assault and battery are actionable per se. That means that you don't need to prove actual damage. Once the thought is acknowledged, damages are at large. Any consequential loss, example, damages to chattels or physical injuries is recoverable if it is not too remote. But the quantum of the damages depends on the proof of actual loss. That is to say, consequential loss may be strictly proved, but general damages are at large. In Sia and Aprechum, Apaluje, as he then was assessed general damages at £1,500 in favour of the plaintiff because he found the assault was outrageous in the extreme and was entirely unprovoked. The plaintiff was severely beaten and left for dead and with a stroke of bad luck may well have died. In all the circumstances of this case and bearing in mind that the first defendant used these sanitary laborers as tools to vent his private vengeance on the plaintiff and did so callously, I would award a last sum of damages. See also the case of Glover and London and Cobalt and Grant. Thank you very much. See you on the next podcast.